0: Hello, worldwide interwebs. Mike and Andy here from the Vox World headquarters. And who knows where it is? It could be in transit. It could be in Columbus, Ohio. It could be still in Brea, California. You'll never know. <laughs> but um, we're so glad you're with us. And, uh, and today we wanted to do another uh, mailbag episode. And the reason... Um, I we got great feedback on the last one, and we thought, okay, well, all right, uh, yeah. we get so many questions, and I hate typing long emails. I'd rather <laughs> I'd rather just talk through stuff. Oh yeah. So um, so we've got some uh, we've got some questions, and um, and Andy, we've got live shows are going to be funny now. Right. Right. <laughs> How do we do Vox Live? I'll have to fly you out to do Vox live yeah, shows. Yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I'm
1: looking forward to that. That'll be fun. That'll, that'll feel. Be... That'll feel like. I mean, it'll be like I'm making a trip. Hey, I'm on tour, guys. I'm yep. gonna be yep. Uh, yep. at the Vox live show over here in Columbus.
0: Oh man, and there's, there's uh, some places. There's some places in Columbus too. Yeah. Um. So anyway, we are. Um, we're grateful for your support in the midst of all this craziness. Uh, so, one of the ways we would just want to honor your participation is by getting to so many of the questions that you're sending in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, we're grateful to do that. So, let's, Andy, we'll just fire away. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Um, I have a question for you. Now, now, this person uh, starts very nicely, and Uh-oh. and continues very nicely. Okay. I mean, I, but they just—they're. They're, I'm not going to read the encouraging part, although there was an encouraging part. Uh, I have a question for you. In the Hiddenness of God episode, you mentioned that once you've learned to seek after God rather than him always doing the seeking, you come to see that the reward of Jesus is Jesus. As I navigate my faith, I'm coming to realize I don't have the first clue about what that means. (laughs) I'd be very grateful if you could go into more depth on that idea. My initial interpretation is that you could keep the same meaning by saying that the true reward of seeking Jesus is the experience of Jesus as a person, almost as if a seeker uh, eventually comes to enjoy the presence of Jesus in the same way we enjoy the presence of a best friend, but magnified, since we're talking about God. Any help you could offer be very appreciated. Hmm. So excellent, excellent question, because we do say that a lot, and uh, that the idea that the reward of following Jesus is Jesus. Now, Uh, And part of why uh, the dark night of the soul exists and the hiddenness of God exists is to get us to the place where God is no longer a means to an end, but is the end uh, that we're pursuing. Mm -hmm. So, So what do I mean by that? Well, when I first come to God... Typically, I come out of crisis, I come out of guilt, I come out of shame, I come out of sickness. He has something that I want and and need. So uh, I need forgiveness, I need grace, I need a fresh start, I need the removal of shame, I need a new identity, I need a a cure for an addiction, I need healing from a disease, Hmm. right? So it's not because God's there and I want to know him, although that can be a small part of it. It's normally, mostly... The idea that that I'm coming for something that God has, mm-hmm. and and often our evangelistic appeals are based around that. Yeah, right. You have a hole in your heart. Money can't fill it. Success can't fill it. Pleasure can't fill it. Only God can fill it. Right. right. So it's it's almost an appeal to self interest, um, and self fulfillment that that we do that. We've talked about that before. So so God introduces or allows, um, uh. Times of hiddenness or times of distance to to train us to follow him for him and uh, not just for what we get out of it. And so the example I would use is is marriage. When so I've been married seventeen years, and what you realize is is very often you go into marriage using marriage as a means for self fulfillment. This person will make me happy. Um, this is my best friend. This I could finally have. Um, um, sexual intimacy. I can, um, you know, I, I can have peace. I can feel secure. I can be loved for who I am. Right? It's not. It's not the delight of getting to be with the other person, although that's part of it. But even that often is a cover for something that blesses me. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very often an expression of loving myself through another person. And so, uh, but but ultimately, after seventeen years, I can say with full assurance. Um, after you discover the, the deep-seated wounds and the deep-seated warts and the the, the dark and sinful parts of, of both people, how we interact and all those sorts of things, you begin to realize that that the primary goal of marriage isn't your own happiness and fulfillment. The primary goal of marriage is something much richer, truer, deeper and better than that. And, and once you aim for that better goal, then the personal fulfillment comes. If you make personal fulfillment the issue, mm-hmm. you'll miss it. Yes. But if you make, um, for instance, I mean, Paul uses the idea that, 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 that marriage is a picture of the gospel, the way God loves people. Um, if, you, if you're aiming for that, if you're, if you're aiming the, that my job is to serve my wife and to bless her with um, the, the dreams and desires of her heart, I mean that's a whole different foundation for marriage but then you find fulfillment you find your fulfillment in giving yourself away rather than in claiming and clutching and so often marriages get shipwrecked around you know 5 to 7 years because they realize oh this the end I was using marriage to get to isn't 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 happening? Yeah. Right. Instead of being happy all the time, we fight. Instead of instead of this incredible sexual experience that's ongoing forever, um. Oh, this is this is a power struggle and mm. it hurts and it, we can hurt each other, um. By how we navigate, you know, conflicting desires or whatever else. I mean, it, it just becomes this whole thing. So when I say the reward of Jesus is Jesus, that's that's exactly the same sort of idea, that very often we come. And I do it too. I mean, my, that's the only reason I've learned this is because I, I come looking for love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? The fruit of of walking with God. Instead, what God wants to offer is Himself, that, that knowing Him, being intimate with Him, that's the goal of the Christian life. For me, that's not the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life is protection and its purpose and its significance and mm. its transformation. And uh, for God, it's much more intimate and relational than that. Hmm. And so part of what sets us up for disappointment is that very often we're pitched Christianity as a means to an end. And that end is often spelled out in very individualistic, consumeristic, Americanized terms. Right? Whether it's health and wealth, or whether it's blessing, or whether it's the removal of loneliness and shame and guilt... Right But but what's not presented is the fact that, that ultimately the joy of, of following Jesus is you get to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. and uh, all the other stuff may come, but that's not the goal or the reason that you're following Him. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so uh, I think it's absolutely critical that, that people understand God's agenda, in our following of Him isn't isn't just to meet the existential needs of our heart, but it's it's rather to fill the deep um, relational holes that have been left, you know, simply because we're human, because we're fallen, because we're broken, because whatever. But those relational holes aren't the things we want filled. Um, those are those are the holes that often drive us to compulsive behaviors and and to addictions and to so on and so on and to actually to actually deal with those. Requires God's hiddenness, requires God's distance. It's the it's it's uh, some of what I've been sitting in, and the realization that I I, I want God to remove fear. I mean that's the thing. Mm. I just if He could do one thing, He looked at me along the road and said, "What do you want me to do for you?" I say, "Take away fear, um, and uh, take away worry." Yeah, mm. uh, but what I wouldn't say is, "Let me just be with you," you know. And it's kind of like marriage. I mean, what's what's the greatest compliment to my wife? It's not. Hey man, we're 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 cranking. Our household is cranking right now. We're getting so much done. Or it's not, <laughs> man, look at look at the great sex life we've got or whatever. It's the greatest compliment is I just want to be with you, babe. I love being with you. Mm-hmm. And you know, it sounds cheesy. Um, or it can sound cliche and cheesy, but uh, there is this sense all throughout the scriptures of, of that's why God provided the Spirit to now live within us. There's this relational. We've talked about relational transformation that takes place. We're loved into our futures, mm-hmm. and that's the basis of it. So, um, so so for me, uh, I totally get what you're saying. Intimacy with God is something that's in, still foreign to me in terms of. Uh, even some of the words I'm using, I'm like, I haven't fully tasted uh, some of those. Mm-hmm. But I think Jesus is quite clear that when it says, when he has the opportunity to define what eternal life is in John seventeen, he says it's very simply, it's knowing uh, Jesus Christ and the and the God who sent him, the Father who sent him. Mm-hmm. It's knowing. And not just intellectual knowing, but relational knowing. Yeah. So, so anyway, those are that's a little bit more. And 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 you know, Jesus Himself talks about how the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man was uh, stumbling. I don't know if he was walking across the field, but he stumbles onto this treasure that was buried. And he realizes it's of incredible value, but he can't own it legally unless he goes and he sells everything else in order to buy the field, so that he could own the treasure. And 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 that's always been an interesting picture to me because I've always thought uh, following Jesus was drudgery, it was duty, it was you know, it mm-hmm. was it wasn't treasure because I thought there was treasure elsewhere, right, money or success sure. or whatever. Um, so so when you find following Jesus to be drudgery, it's just your heart's way of telling you, hey, you still think there's treasure elsewhere. What Jesus is saying is that what he's doing and who he is is so significant that conversion should be a joyful selling of everything else you could have in this life in order to find him. It's not it's not guilt. It's not fear. It's not shame. It's joy. Conversion should be joy mm. uh, because you've learned there's no, there's no treasure anywhere else. But, but, but the problem is, we still think there's treasure, and so we use Jesus to f- help us find the treasure in this life that we think is still there. Does that make sense so if i think health and wealth are my treasures then jesus becomes the god that provides health and wealth if i think it's if i think it's peace inner peace and tranquility i use jesus to find inner peace and tranquility we still the he's the treasure right um but we still think that jesus can now be a means to use the treasure and so he gives that example to say listen you've got to sell every other definition of treasure in order to believe that i'm it yeah does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I think the only the only nuance of context in that scenario, which could sound like projecting the, the end result, like saying like, yeah, completely having Jesus, it should, should just be like the end result should be joy, like in how you're saying it. So, but, but I think like, does that mean that persecution doesn't come? You know, if you're in a place where it's like you choosing Jesus is life threatening to you because of the culture you're in or wherever, that's all realistic. You know, that's not to suggest like, well, Jesus isn't true if it's not bringing joy. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's kind of, it's that's not, right. that's yeah, right. we, I, I don't, we couldn't just say it's not Jesus if it's not joy, really? but it does, but it, 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 everything you're saying makes sense. It's just, I think in a cultural context, we have to kind of nuance that just a little bit. Cause there's some people who even get kicked out of their families in the United States because they chose to be a Christian, you know, but that's,
0: but that's the difference between happiness and joy. Sure. So circumstantial happiness comes and goes the joy. That Jesus is is painting a picture of is is based on the recognition of the value and the trade-off between what you've given up and what you've gained yeah, in, in exchange. Yep. So that's the yes. that's the difference. Yes. And in that, you know, as long as you're convinced treasure is youthfulness, as long as you're convinced treasure is your health, and I mean this is as long as you're convinced treasure is is money, then um, following Jesus is gonna be really hard. Yeah. And what Jesus will do is love you into the future by inviting you to give those things up yeah and uh, the giving up of them is a death It's it feels like a death but mm. it leads to a resurrection yeah so yeah. no i think that's a that's a really good really good nuance all right um all right let's see here number two uh i have always really loved the book of genesis me too for all of its criticisms uh, there are some things to me that feel true when it comes to describing some of the most challenging aspects of our lives, specifically the significance that restricted that the restricted tree was the tree of knowledge of good and evil and also the repercussions to men and women as a result of the fall. So incredibly true. Are these not some of the most common sources of existential crises? Yes, mm-hmm. we believe. Um, I've been a follower of... Uh, for a while, I seem to recollect being these things being touched on one another, but I love a podcast related to Genesis. I find these things strangely relevant and reassuring because of their continued relevance. Uh, thank you for being uh, a Lucy to so many of us, even if you struggle to see him yourself, don't we all? What a great thing. So, yeah, yeah I, to me, Genesis is... Um, Genesis is so central to understanding the rest of the Bible that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 set up the story that Israel begins and that Jesus completes and that the church continues. And, um, and so, so when, you, when you get to the, one of the reasons why, when people say, hey, why, why, do you, why do you follow this Jesus and why do you trust uh, this Bible? One of the reasons is it captures human experience for me uh, in a way that... Um, uh, as I've I've read and studied other things that just hasn't the idea that creation, fall, redemption, and restoration that resonates deeply with me. And you know whether or not you take it literally or metaphorically or poetically or narratively. I mean those are all great conversations. But there are things explained that do resonate. So I love the idea that part of what resonates for you is the this verse in Genesis where God says, um, "Your to the woman your desire will be for your husband." And he will rule over you. Mm-hmm. And that's not prescription, that's description. And that's that's the result and the loss of uh, the intimacy, the the harmony, the equality that they had before their disobedience. Mm. Now there's this this power struggle introduced into their into the, what was to be harmonious. Now it's mm. a power struggle. The woman's desire is to master. The man's desire is to rule. And we see this played out every. You know, I mean, for all my married people, just say amen right now in the microphone. Amen. Um, or wherever you're listening. Amen. On the on the stairmaster, just amen at right. Right now in the in the traffic, amen. It, right now, relationships <laughs> are power struggles, and so part of what gets confusing is that that people think that 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 means that God created hierarchy, and and that's not what the story says at all. What the story says it is is that hierarchy is the result of the fall, and it's not in any way, shape, or form part of God's original. Plan. So, what I love that Genesis does, one, two, and three, is it provides a context that resonates with my experience. And that experience is um the there's so much good and truth and beauty and goodness but it feels like it's it's echoes of the real thing it just feels like it's moments it's glimpses and even those echoes are touched by darkness they're shadowed they're they're shrouded a little bit right so it seems like there's a hunger an infinite hunger for beauty and joy and relationship and yet everything that we experience falls short of that and because we're so built to cry out against injustice, to cry out against the violation of shalom that we see in the world. It just it 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 is an echo of the fact that it wasn't supposed to be this way. And that and viscerally and primally we know that. And the promise of Jesus is that Jesus was put forward as the first evidence of what's coming later, namely that God's gonna remake it all. Mm-hmm. So far from just being a ticket to heaven, Jesus becomes the first fruit, according to Paul, of what's going to happen to the rest of the universe, namely, that there is going to be significant continuity between this world and the new world, but there's discontinuity too, namely that we have resurrected bodies, that there's no more pain or shame or guilt or fear or whatever, and and I just go, man, that... that even if this weren't true i think it's uh, uh, tim mackey said this last week even if this weren't true uh this is the story i'd want to be true hmm. yeah and and it's the it, it is the baseline story that undergirds all of our other stories you know the 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 idea that was it always this way it's this way now but it can be returned mm-hmm. right i mean that's that's it. And so what Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 does, and I think, I think someday I'd love to do just a whole series on it because there's so... I mean, we don't... We have even scratched the surface of Genesis. It's so magnificent in terms of what it's done. And uh, so misunderstood. Hmm. So anything you want to add on that, Andy Bear? Uh, I think you covered it all. <laughs> all right, I do, Yeah, I, I don't
1: consider myself a, a, pro, a professional in Genesis.
0: <laughs> what? Which begs the question, Andy. Where are you a professional? <laughs> that is a great question. Yes, I turned this thing on.
1: Where? So well, I guess that might mean I know a thing or two about a thing or two.
0: You, you know, no, absolutely, you know, a thing or two about <laughs> about weird stuff <laughs> like Chemex coffee. Yeah, one of one of many. One to many. All right. Um, uh, let's see here. Next question. Um, uh, this. Uh, this. That how, looks like a book over there. You're holding this right here. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this, I won't read it all. Email of a novel. They share. They share some really hard stuff they've been through. But then they say, "I don't want to take too much of your time." But I would love your thoughts on a couple of things in particular, how you started and how you would advise someone in starting a church that is in a similar mode as Vox. I totally get that this stuff can't be prepackaged and such, but are there practices and ideas that you have found helpful in starting the Sunday gatherings that are Vox? I live in Monterey, California, and with the support of our sending church, we will be starting a new church community later this fall. How cool is that? Very cool. So much of what you guys talk about in the podcast, especially the way of love, doubt, grief, lament, safety, how to approach complex issues with grace and nuance are things I would love to see happen in this new community. When you uh, talked about centered set versus bounded set a while back, that really got me thinking as to what we are calling our new community. And that is, we're going to call it jesus Center church. Uh, For us, we want our new church to truly be that, Jesus at the center, and that this is what holds and brings us together. Any thoughts you have would be greatly appreciated. If this is not something you want to share via Facebook Live or podcast, feel free, but totally not expecting that if you don't want to. So, Mm -hmm. holy cow, that's a great question. Because, I mean, of course, we're, we're now masters at starting churches, um, but we've got one under one. our belt. Um, so, so a couple of thoughts. Number one, um, we, our story, I don't think, can be really replicatable in the sense that we started from a podcast. And so if you remember, Aaron, um, you, you may have been listening or not, but we, we decided that it wasn't enough just to critique. We wanted to help create something. And so we used the podcast to generate a a list of emails for people that were interested in finding out what a liturgical expression of the podcast would look like. That led us to about 300 people who attended open houses at my house where we tried to convince people uh, that this is not something they wanted to be a part of. Because, I mean, literally, that was my, that was my line, is we're trying to talk you out of joining this because we we're trying to do something or create something that just won't meet the normal church sort of consumer expectations. And so, so out of that 300 or so, then we interviewed the people that were interested and got it down to about 80 people. And those 80, we'd done our best to talk out of it. Um, we then and and we did all of this around tables in our house. So we we decided the table was going to be the controlling picture and the controlling narrative for our church, and and that table was going to be manifested in three ways. The table was going to be manifested corporately. So we were going to build the church around the Eucharist. Um, every Sunday, it was going to be manifested communally, namely that we wanted to have table fellowships that weren't just classic Bible studies or small groups, but were much uh, more built around uh, the value of safe to talk about anything and, and, um, and uh, a place where you could bring people that, that weren't like you and share a meal together. Um, and, and we weren 't opposed to content as being a part of that. It was just that we didn 't want content to be the draw right. or the focus we wanted the, we wanted the table to be the focus mm-hmm. And uh, so our picture was that the corporate table was for the whole Vox community. The uh, the communal table was for Vox people opening up their church or opening up their homes, excuse me, to other Vox people and their friends. And then lastly, what, we, what we're now starting to encourage is something called personal table, which is that you... Maybe with a, a couple of friends, but, but you would open up your home and your table regularly uh, to the people in your spheres of influence. So that could be the soccer, the other parents in your club soccer team. That could be, that could be you know, the uh, coworkers that you invite out to dinner afterwards. Right. It can look a whole bunch of yeah, different ways. And very
1: simply, the neighbors on your street.
0: Right. Yep. So, so, one of the things, exactly right. So, one of the things we're going to do. As uh, we go to Ohio, and it feels very um, uh, scary for us to do this, um, is we're we're going to start. We're not going to start with a gathering. We're gonna we're going to start with an email list, um, you know, driven a bit through the podcast. But we're also going to start with table fellowship. So we're going to start at the communal part and the personal table part. And so we're 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 going to um, like we've we've got a front yard. In Ohio, they have these things where there's grass in the front of the house, and not just a garage. And um, and so we're going to put a picnic table out there, and we're going to eat out front. We're going to put a trampoline out front in our house, and we're and we're just gonna we're gonna just sit and and be neighbors um, with people. We're going to do lots of, of networking um, with uh, other churches because the last thing we want to do is take people from other churches. So we want to know the churches in our area, and uh, and know that we're not here to swap. Uh, sheep with them. Um, we went to uh, that's just sheep, sheep swap. Uh, this uh,
1: this coming on uh, E and Bravo. Yes. This, oh yes, this in sheep yes, swap.
0: yes. It's a, yeah. Okay. Anyway, not, uh, some bad jokes were coming. So um, so one of the things that I would say um, is uh, what you can contextualize aren't the forms uh, because the forms could change, right? But the values. I mean, we have the, the church is based on three values. Um, we'll do whatever it takes to to engage the hearts and minds of the next generation. And part of that's why we podcast, but that's also um, also a commitment that, that we want to engage the next generation, not in f- uh, smoke and mirrors and fog machines and rock and worship and incredibly relevant sermon. We want them to fall in love with the ordinary, average, mundane body of Jesus. Um, not the flashy stuff, not the rock star celebrities. We want them to just fall in love with the Eucharist. We want them to fall in love with sharing the table with people. People that aren't like them. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, there are ways that we can contextualize that specifically, but our goal isn't to just create entertainment venues um, for folks and then somehow sneak the gospel in. Secondly, um, we're committed to loving and serving the world, not sitting in judgment of it, which means um, we don't, we don't ban- bash, we don't take stances on things, we are not politically active um, as an organization, um, we're very, very interested in having people from multiple perspectives. Um, uh, around the table. Uh, and then it's safe to talk about anything. I mean, you already hit that, the the fact that there isn't anything off limits, because these are real things that people are talking about. I think all of that happens around a table. So if I were going to plant a church in Monterey, if I were going to plant a church in Columbus, I'm going to start opening up my, my house, my table, um, and having people over and hearing their stories and listening and seeing if, if God opens a door in, in a way that allows us to fill a space that isn't being filled by uh, other churches in the area. Because the last thing we want to do as a Vox community is replicate all the great stuff other churches do. Um, so we don't have, for instance, men's groups. There are loads of men's groups in Orange County. There are loads of women's groups in Orange County. Why would we replicate that? Mm-hmm. We're not going to replicate that. If you, we, we have all of these incredible resources of all these churches that have incredible facilities. We're not going to reproduce that. We're, we're very, very focused. On, uh, and, and the tough thing in planning a church is, you know, you need people and you need funds. And it's very easy to, to widen your focus to accommodate those things. One of the things that um, I think the podcast afforded us is the ability to be super focused and to not care if people walked away. Um, and that the people who were coming were already listening to the podcast. So they already had some sense of how crazy we were going to be. <laughs> and so so in terms of practices and habits, a commitment to those vow, those three convictions, I think is huge. I, I think it's a table fellowship, baby. I think it's inviting, literally walking around your neighborhood, inviting people to dinner, listening to their stories, getting to know them. This is the hard work of neighboring. I love it. I love it. I love it. Getting involved in the community. I was a chaplain in Fullerton. Uh, could be a chaplain in Columbus. I mean, who knows? But, but, but finding venues where it's quite natural that you're having conversations. With folks that aren't like you, and then and then out of that, uh, perhaps a gathering may arise. But um, you know, the goal—if the goal is just to create a gathering—I think we miss it. I think the goal mm. has to be. Um, finding a person of peace, uh, who knows lots of people, being in deep friendships, being a part of the community. And maybe a gathering comes out of that. But if you're just doing those things to create a gathering, people pick up on that. and, uh, And then you really are just stealing other sheep from other flocks. Yeah. Anything you want to add to that? Um, That's a brilliant question. Yeah. Again, I think you nailed it. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> Andy being very nice to Mikey today. <laughs> I like that. So, so uh, this is uh, this was from Aaron, our our friend, and and so Aaron, um, I'd love your feedback on that. So we're Andy's going to email you. To let you know uh, we answered your question on mm. this episode. And mm-hmm. would love your feedback on that and what you decide to try. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and even around the table to celebrate the Eucharist. So, can, can you give uh, me that email? Um, from Monterey. Um, yep, I will do that in a second. Here it is. There it yeah. is. There it is. And then this is... Uh, okay. All right. Thanks. Uh, how, how are we doing on time? I don't know. I've been talking a lot.
1: We're at 30.
0: Oh! All right, let's do one more. Okay. Um, Oh, oof. Oof. This could be a whole one. Okay. All right, this is from Stanley, and man, this is a good one. All right, this is a good one. Okay. And They're all good. Appreciate the podcast. I think you guys are doing a great thing. Thank you. Wanted to get more clarification on your Gospel of Paul statement. Mm, Yes. Um, I find myself hesitant of what you're saying, and other times I'm agreeing. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, in the June twenty ninth mailbag episode, you clarified your comments. The way I understood you is to say this: the gospel is the announcement of the kingdom, as contained in the actual gospel books. Yep, and in the person of Jesus. Number one, number two, you are against the idea that the gospel's only justification is described by Paul in Romans. Correct. That, in fact, is a narrowness that comes from often the reform camps. Absolutely, you're nailing it, my mm-hmm. friend, Stanley. You see Paul's works uh, as taking the kingdom language, translating it in different Greek worldviews and language, including but not limited to justification, adoption, etc. So, I think that's what you're trying to say, but if not, please help me to understand a bit more. I think you've said it better than I. No question (laughs) about it. My follow-up question, then, is that uh, are you familiar with Tim Keller's or Kim Teller's, (laughs) Tim Keller's Book Center Church? In chapter 10, I have it. I've read the first couple of chapters. I've not made it to chapter 10. In chapter 10, he talks about atonement grammars. Atonement are kind of theories of the way that Jesus makes us right with God. Um, he talks about atonement grammars as ways in which the gospel is described that are not mutually exclusive, but each gives a complementary explanation uh, of aspects of the gospel. He sees it. Uh, he sees it as each will teach different things and be controversial and palatable for different cultures, he goes on to say that substitution is the pervasive theme of all these grammars. So the question would be, uh, why see the kingdom as the starting point with Paul as a translator and not see it... As each author is teaching complementary ideas, even by just saying the kingdom is the starting point, what do you do with John then? Mostly curious about clarifying the statements, but also the logic behind the hermeneutic to see if I need to rethink how I've thought most things. Uh, thanks again. Also, I'm not, uh, I'm, though I'm not a Rob Bell fan, I appreciate you bringing him on and engaging with him, even if you're going to get a lot of flack for it. Felt that needed to be included. All right. So yeah, so I've gotten flack for the shortcut of saying the gospel of Paul. And what I mean by the gospel of Paul is um that uh that that and it's not it's not conflicting, it's just a narrowing. I think you said it really well that um when Jesus came he preached the kingdom and the kingdom was the fulfillment of of so much of the old testament promise given to Israel. And so what happens is because that's not familiar to us we start with the book of Romans and then go back into the gospels and your question seems to be well why privilege why privilege kingdom language and see each idea on its own terms. Well that's not i the the reason I wouldn't privilege it is because that's not the order in which it happened. And so 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 Paul did, didn't just appear out of nowhere and start preaching justification or adoption or redemption, uh, he was translating Jesus. And so, so you, to accurately translate Paul, uh, uh, you have to accurately translate Paul's translation of Jesus. And to accurately translate that translation, you have to go back to Jesus and the kingdom announcement he was making. So, so for me, what, what and, and the other thing I've said before is that when Paul preached, um, Paul didn't preach Paul. Paul preached Christ. And him crucified, mm-hmm. and we have instances. For instance, in the book of Acts, where Paul's clearly preaching the gospel of the kingdom, um, and uh, but but I think that as he gets into more Asian. And Gentile cultures, um, he's switching up metaphors because the gospel grammar is that big. I love Keller's use of that phrase. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether substitution is at the heart of all of them. That would be an interesting question. Um, it seems on the face of it that that's true. But like Christus Victor, uh, I'm not sure that's that's uh, that's got substitution there. Maybe it does. Uh, li- at least maybe not on the forefront. But but anyway, Bible geeks, you understand what I'm saying. But non-Bible geeks, the, the point is simply this yes i think the end result of starting with jesus and then reading paul can be um can be the idea that we see all of these complementary pictures of the work of God absolutely but in terms of how we get to understand those grammars those grammars are given to us in an order and that order clearly because even Paul's even Paul's statements about the supremacy of the revelation of God in Christ um, I think the order of the grammars and the significance of Paul's use of the grammars means that the the gospel of the kingdom is privileged and that was used to a Jewish audience now what John does with it about your about your question about John: What John does with it is John uses the phrase eternal life, but even in John's gospel, eternal life and the kingdom of God turn out to be the same thing. So eternal life isn't life in heaven for John; eternal life is life in the kingdom. And um, and so so and there are reasons why John uses eternal life as opposed to the kingdom. Uh, we can get into those another time. But my my simple point is: I think you've understood me correctly. I would just simply say that that. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's story. So to understand Jesus, you under you have to understand Israel's story. To understand Paul's theology, you have to understand Jesus which then takes you back into Israel's story. So I don't think you can just drop Paul and say, "Okay, sure, here's justification as if that were the only thing." Yes, does it complement? Does it complement what Jesus does? Yes, but, but see, the problem is so many of the reformed guys of which Keller is one of the most gracious and thoughtful have to wrestle with the following question. Does Jesus teach justification? So literally I've read articles of saying, hey, how come Jesus doesn't talk about justification? Paul talks so much about it. See, that order, the ordering of the question is completely the reverse of what it should be. It doesn't matter whether or not Jesus talks justification. You start with what Jesus taught. And then you work your way to Paul and see what Paul's doing with what Jesus taught. Mm. You don't try. You don't start with Paul and say, "Hey, let me try to jive this with Jesus." No way. Paul himself says his revelation isn't the, of the same authority as Christ's. And so, so to me, I totally get what you're saying. It's a great question, my friend. But I think even the argument uh, about the grammar st- things uh, is actually an argument for the supremacy of the words of. of of Jesus as mediated through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that's my quick take, Andy. Yo, I don't, I don't got much to say on this show. <laughs> <laughs> as it as it turns out, as it turns out. So so uh, so, Stanley, <laughs> genius question. And I hope I've done justice to it because I, I can hear in my head as I'm answering all the counters to these things, and I'm, I'm tempted to just start spinning out counters to the counters that I imagine that but are out I, there.
1: But we, we've yet to do a full episode on on that whole idea. So yes. I, I think that's, it seems like that's coming. We've dropped it a few times and got a lot of feedback about it. So I think it's, it's out there. Yes. It's got to be
0: coming. Yes. Yes. So I think Paul Privileges... The gospel accounts. I think Jesus privileges his revelation over other revelations. I think later New Testament writers, like the Book of Hebrews, talks about the first covenant being obsolete now that Christ has come. Um, So I just think I think the whole thing starts and ends with Jesus of Nazareth, and and then you work your way into the other parts. You don't now 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 of course. Listen, if you start in Romans and Romans is meaningful, hallelujah! God rescues you through Romans. Fantastic. It's just if we're going to talk about the whole of, of like how you do theology and what a consistent hermeneutic would be like. Um, I'm still holding on to the idea that Jesus gets privileged place, um, in that and that that privileged place takes us to everywhere else in the Bible, but it does so differently than if you had just open it up in page one or if you open it up in Romans one. Yeah, make sense. Yeah, I got that. Dang, so many good questions. I and give us feedback on these episodes, we don't want to do them too often. Uh, but we want to do them often enough because you guys are asking such phenomenal questions. So uh, another mailbag episode on the books, Andy. Um, you guys are amazing. You really are. And and uh, again, the 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 goal. I mean, truly, the goal isn't that you would take our word for this stuff. Um, you know, there are people much smarter than me that would disagree. Up significantly with things. And so, I, I think the, the danger is that you just podcast in epo- echo chambers where, yeah, yeah, I like this one because th- this person says the things I really like. One of the practices I practice on social media that I've talked about before is I follow people with whom I vehemently disagree. And that keeps, that keeps the conversation robust and interesting, even just internally. And uh, so please don't, you know, please, the, the goal is really for you to wrestle with these things yourself in community. And, and we keep hearing the best compliments we get on the podcast are these. And we get a lot of them, which is so encouraging. My small groups listens to this and then we discuss it. <laughs> the guys in my band and I listen to this and we discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had many late nights discussing it. Fantastic, fantastic. That gives us more joy than anything else. Yeah. So, um, so that's why we can have a Rob Bell, a Greg Boyd, and a Tim on because we're we're people that uh, I'm I'm a person and Andy and certainly is in this too. I mean, we are absolutely and utterly committed to Jesus. And because of our commitments to Jesus, that entail other commitments to other things. So Mm -hmm. I'm committed to the Bible because I'm committed to Jesus. But uh, very often we've received Christianity as a package out of which Jesus is a small part and instead, what Christianity is, is a set of practices and traditions and, and views of scripture that all have to go together in order for you to be a Christian. And I just, I don't think it works that way. It didn't work that way when Jesus was walking on the earth. I don't think it works that way today. So um, so we're so encouraged when we get questions like these. We hope somehow the answers are helpful. But what we think is more, most helpful is that there's just permission to ask. Yeah. Yep. So that's all I got. Keep them coming.
1: Hello at voxpodcast.com.
0: Hello at voxpodcast.com. And hopefully Andy won't let them, like, accumulate for two months. <laughs> so uh, my brothers and sisters, may the Lord... Bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And today, may he give you peace. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your support. We're blessed to do this. Until next time. Hey,
1: thanks for listening to The Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com
0: slash voxpodcast.